Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Well, hello, everyone. I wanted to share some thoughts and some feedback that I received about a recent webinar that I gave for some office managers. It was really more of a town hall. We were all getting together and sharing some thoughts, and it was almost like a, an in-person, you know, a coffee talk. And it was very pleasant, and I, I really enjoyed myself. And one of the topics that came up was, wow, I feel so overwhelmed. And I was talking to them about the fact that I run into managers often that have guilt. They have various degrees of guilt, and they're not sure how to handle it. And some of them are even confused on how they got it. You're thinking, what do you mean guilt? What am I talking about? What is this guilt? One of the ladies mentioned to me that she had been promoted, but she didn't have the right skills. It really was that she was just the next warm body in the line. So she was put in charge of this office, and she knew that she didn't have the skills Doctor, I guess, knew, but didn't really worry about it. He just kind of thought, oh, well, she's done so well at everything else. Then there was also the fact that she wanted the promotion. It was extra money. And I mean, who can turn that down, right? So she figured she'd learn it along the way. And I think anybody who achieves or obtains a, a job that is maybe a little bit above their means is really happy about that and knows that they can catch up quickly because they're fast learners, right? But sometimes that difference is so large that it's really hard for people to make that up. And I'll get into some, some more specifics in just a minute. The feedback that I got from a separate lady, I received an email from her and she wrote, your comment about guilt made me realize I have it. I think I'm being too hard on myself. And then we had a little back and forth on that, but she's absolutely right. She's being too hard on herself. And honestly, she didn't even see this coming. She really had seen the job that somebody else was doing and figured, you know what? I've seen them screw up a little bit. I bet that I could do a better job. And that that's normal. There's nothing wrong with her thought process there. However, I don't think she realized everything that was involved in being an office manager. And, you know, how can you blame her? Most people who are office managers, they're making it up as they go along and they're adding to their job descriptions as they go along. I mean, this is nothing different, right? The life of a dental office manager. The other conversation that I had with the first lady who mentioned it to me, we were emailing back and forth. Actually, I'm sorry. We were chatting back and forth on Facebook and she asked me, well, how am I going to stop this guilt? What I do is I catch myself making mistakes all the time. I'm paraphrasing here. She's catching mistakes all the time and she's not telling anyone because she's fixing it, but she's starting to hate the job and people aren't seeing the mistakes that she's making, but that's because she's fixing it. But that's really not a good place to be. You know, you want to feel good about your abilities. You want to feel confident. And if you're constantly finding your own mistakes and having to fix them, that kind of leaves you, that leaves you in a bad place. So I get where she's going with that. So the other part of that was that she was convinced that she was going to teach herself these things. She had all these classes she wanted to take. She was a member of ADOM, obviously, the American Association of Dental Office Management. And she had access to all of the webinars and all of, you know, all the great coursework on there. But life gets in the way. 
she's got a small child. She's got a new marriage. She's just trying to get things done. And by the way, now she's managing people who used to be her friends. I mean, you could see this coming. This is just a, I think, a situation that many of us have either been in, found themselves in, or know somebody that has been in this situation. And especially if you've ever gone to an ADOM annual conference, you'll hear these different stories of managers who kind of just woke up and they were the manager and, oh my gosh, I need to learn this. That's why I'm taking this class. I'll ask people in my insurance class all the time, I'll say, what are you doing in here? Are you new to the to management? Are you a new insurance coordinator? And a lot of times it's a manager that just has no idea what this part of the job is. And I'm sure that's why they also take clinical classes or why they take the OSHA and HIPAA classes. It's overwhelming how much a manager has to know. So the question became, you know, back and forth on this Facebook messenger, she says to me, what would you do if you were a new manager today? And I thought, wow, that's a that's a good question. And I have to be honest, I've thought about a lot of management systems. I think about them all the time because I'm always talking about them and talking with you all about them and looking for ways to improve them. I'm always looking at other industries to see how I can up our dental game. But I really hadn't thought about, wow, what if I went back to that day when I was in the office and we were losing that one front office person and I was going to be the only front office person left? And I actually didn't even get a promotion, I don't think. I think it was just like, oh, you've got this? And I said, of course, yeah, because that's what you say, right? And lo and behold, I became the office manager. And then when people came on board, you know, I was the boss, even though it just kind of happened that way. That's the part of it that I think I wish I could wave a magic wand and get rid of it for everyone. I wish there was some standardized way of onboarding a new office manager. Now, I know there's lots of classes out there on here are the systems to look at, and here's what you need to look at for management. But as far as the first 30 days or the first 60, 90 days, I wish there was one accepted protocol that all of the consultants and all of the dentists were taught in dental school so we don't mess it up. The reason why I bring that up is in the real big corporate world, right? Most corporations have onboarding protocol written. You have to spend this day with HR. You don't even look at anything until you spend time with HR, get your forms filled out, get your company policy read and understood, get all your information input, you select your plan, you select your, you know, get all the information for your retirement plan. The first day, you really don't land at the job and expect to get anything done. But yet in dentistry, we bring people in all the time. And on the first day, we expect them to be, you know, answering the phone and talking to patients. Patients are our most precious resource right now. We really need to, if the phone rings, we really need to be able to talk to that person and talk to them very well. But what we do as new managers, we kind of go in and grab the phone because we have this great pleasant voice, then, then we take on the task, right? So I really haven't found anything other than if you're a big corporation or a DSO, perhaps maybe they have even some established protocols. But I'll tell you something, I've worked with a few growing small DSOs. And when they make that leap from group to DSO, or even from small group to big group, those aren't in place either. So don't feel like everything's upside down because you're a small office. The thing is, we need to be better about that. It's just treating treating the office as a business in general. So Back to the question that I was asked. I know I kind of went off on a tangent there. That was kind of like my personal wish list of what I wish we had for new managers. What would I do as a new manager today? First things first is I would look at the conversations that I'm having with my friends, maybe on Facebook. And I would look at that with kind of a hands 
hands-off approach, maybe arm's length approach, because what I see a lot and talking to lots of new managers is that they're comparing apples to oranges. I would try to compare apples to apples. When someone's telling me about, you know, I'm reading about their great 105% collections rate because they're getting all of these deposits, that's fine and everything. But does that person have one dedicated financial coordinator? Is that what's going on in that office? That makes a huge difference. And I see this a lot in conversations. You know, there's a lot of us that lurk in these groups. And I do see these wonderful offices that people work at. But then I read some of the reactions. It's like, oh, I wish we did that. Or, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. But I know some of these offices. And even if you click and find out more about them, they're not apples to apples. They're big offices to small offices, rural offices to urban offices, specialists to generalists. And so really comparing myself to another office at this point is not going to help very much. What I would do, which is the opposite of what I would normally tell you to do, what I would do in this situation is I would zoom in real tightly. I would focus only on my practice. Now, if you've been to any of my managerial classes or any of my participation workshops, then you know I want us to keep an eye on what's going on outside of our office. That's very, very important. You need to know what's coming down the pike, right? But when I'm coming into an office and I need to make it my own, I need to do a quick assessment and I need to stay focused on what's going on in the office. I'm not going to necessarily worry about offices down the street. I may not even really go to very many meetings. I may go to maybe one ADA meeting if I can find it. But for the most part, I'm going to try to assess the systems I have. Before I go out and start finding out all of these other systems that are really neat and shiny, because chances are your office that you're taking over may already have those systems. They may already have a subscription to a certain program and they don't even realize it. So assessment is really one of the first things I'm going to do. I have to sit and look at what is my communication system? What is my software? You probably already know that. But what is my software? What are the capabilities? Are we totally upgraded? Is it the right software? That one I'm going to put a pin in. I'm going to reassess that after I've had some time to really look at performance in the practice. Communication software, scheduling software. I'm going to take a look at the OSHA and the HIPAA and make sure that all of that is up to speed. I have to just make sure I have all of my ducks in a row before I can assess any of the ducks. Does that make sense? What I'm going to look for first. There's three things that I always pay attention to in an office. They fall into three categories. Now, there are things that can get you sued, things that can get you fined, and things that lose you money. Okay, those are the three things that I'm focused on. Keep in mind, I'm not the normal dental consultant as far as looking at your whole practice, you know, the whole systems. I'm not built really well that way. I definitely have friends that can help you with that. I really focus on making sure that you don't get sued that you don't get any money fined and that you don't leak money. I'm, as you can see, really focused on rules, regulations, and making sure that the money flows. That's really where my focus is. The other parts that I would take a look at after these are done is staffing and making sure everybody gets along. Now, again, this is why I don't do full service consulting because I do know this is part of it. But as a manager, if I'm walking in as a manager, I have to handle this, right? I have to take a look at the staff. So let's go down two different roads. Say you are brought into this office brand new. First things first, you need to get to know the people that are there. I would meet with them, ask them what their job descriptions are. You don't need to have them fill anything out. This is when you listen and you should do less talking. 
You should not be doing most of the talking when talking to new coworkers. This is when you need to hear what they're trying to tell you without them actually telling you. And you know what I'm talking about. When you come into an office with new employees, they are a little bit cynical. They don't know if you're there to help. They don't know if you're going to be a big pain in the butt. Things were working well. Now here you come and they're anticipating that there's going to be some drama. It's human nature, right? When you come at them and start telling them all these things you want to do and what you're all about, and I'm the kind of person this and that, it's not going to help. What you need to do is let them know that they are important to you and you are hearing what they have to say. Get all their job duties in your head. See who's responsible for who, for what. Find out what are the schedules and is everybody staffed appropriately? Because I can't get you to look at these other systems if we actually don't have staff in the office. Of course, we want you to just make sure everything is staffed and running well as far as scheduling goes. Now, that hopefully is not even going to be an issue. Most of the time when you walk into an office, things are working, may not be working at 100%, but things are working. Patients are getting scheduled and patients are coming in. Okay, so let's take this from the other side of it. What if you are an employee and you are now the new manager, the old manager left, or you know, you've grown so much that you've now decided, or the owner has now decided that you are going to be the manager. So first of all, congratulations. That's a big step. Second of all, you have to learn to put that coworker and colleague hat in the drawer. And honestly, it's probably not going to come back out of the drawer. You can be friendly. You can be friends with the people that you work with. But when you're a manager, there is a different level there. I know that there's lots of times in my classes where I'll say who has been burned by a friend who, you know, things change between the friendship when you became the manager. And there's half of the room that's going to raise their hands, honestly. And we all have that same look on our face. It's not joy. It's not laughter even. It's hurt. It's hurt because it's happened to us. We were friends with, you know, I'm just going to call her, I don't know, Betty. Let's just go with Betty. So Betty is a good friend of mine. We worked together. We had the same schedule, answer the phones next to each other. But now all of a sudden, I'm the manager and Betty's still answering phones. Maybe she has a little bit more to do. She's, you know, gotten a promotion too, but I'm the manager. I can't really share a lot of the stuff about the office with Betty anymore because there's levels to this, right? There's things that you're privy to that maybe Betty shouldn't be privy to. There's hiring decisions that you're going to have to make that you really should not be asking for Betty's input on. There are different boundaries that come into play when you have to work with old colleagues that are now your, for lack of a better word, subordinate. I'm not a fan of that word because it's just not a nice word to apply to a person, subordinate. But to be honest, in the real world, if you are in another job, a corporate job, that is exactly what it is. You can call them your team, but truly, they are the ones that have to take into consideration what you direct them to do when they do their job. It's really not optional at this point. And that is the problem with a lot of friendships that don't really survive that transition. Because you're friends, there is a feeling that your recommendations are just recommendations and not actually changes in guidelines, changes in systems. And that really is pretty hard to get past. When all of your employees are taken care of and you have them in a stable setting, everybody's got their job duties, they're off and running. Now you can take a look at the things that you need to attack as a manager. So from this point on, when you're a new manager coming in for purposes of this conversation, 
These are the items you're going to be observing. And then as a new manager, I would make recommendations to the doctor. I would document those recommendations. I would have them ready to go. However, I don't want to give them too much at a time. So I would, if I were new, brand new, I would say, I'm going to take a look at these systems for the next two weeks. And then I'm going to look at these systems for the next two weeks and then make them a list so that they know what you're concentrating on. What will happen quite often is a new manager is very excited to come on board. I get it. Of course, you're excited. This is your office. You get to fix it. You get to love it and grow it. However, if you bombard your owner, dentist with a laundry list of things that need to change, what do people do that don't want to change? They turtle up. You know what I mean? You can see the shell. You can see them retreating back into the shell. They go, okay, well, yeah, let's talk about it later. And you'll get these brush offs. So you have to make sure that you drip these conversations because the goal is not to implement your way or the highway. The goal is to make the office better. And the best way to do that is to work with the people that are going to help you reach that goal. The owner dentist, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say, most of them don't like change, even though they brought you in for change. They're not going to like a lot of change at the same time. And I'll tell you one thing that change comes with is a price tag. And that's something you have to think about. You may want to put into place all of these great solutions, but the finances may not allow for it just yet. So that's why it needs to be dripped out. It needs to be budgeted for. It needs to be planned for. You may want to get a brand new software, but it just may not be in the budget for this year. You may want to get your employee handbook redone professionally and get this whole big suite where you have payroll and check-in and all of that. Right now, you may not be able to do that. You may be able just to get the entry-level package, right? So compromises, but also keeping the goal in mind. So it's kind of a slow march to getting your practice up to speed. And don't forget, once you get your practice up to speed, there's a lot of work that goes with that too. It's not done at that point. Now we're in maintenance mode. That's a whole different podcast. Okay, so let's take it from the viewpoint that you are working in the office and now you're coming up and you have become the manager. So chances are you have been aware of a lot of stuff that hasn't been fixed. You can look around and go, oh yeah, we need to do this, 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 this. And honestly, you could probably do that in a quick three second look around the office and 10 different things would come to mind to fix. This is where I want you to remember the person that is in charge, your owner, doctor, you already know how he or she operates. So this is actually good. The unfortunate part is that you know how he or she operates. And this can be very frustrating because you may not be able to go as fast as you want. That's okay. Also remember that any big changes, your team has to be ready to change as well. Coming in with big sweeping changes is not going to endear you to anyone it just isn't. I've seen that happen a lot. And God love these new managers that are just so exuberant, but you got to know your audience. You got to know what you're working with. And sometimes slow and steady does indeed win the race. So let's go back to the three things that I focus on, things that can get you sued, things that can get you fined, and things that are going to cost you money. This is what I would go over. And I'll have this outlined in the show notes so that you can just refer to it, make yourself a little cheat sheet. So malpractice which means I'm going to take a look at documentation. If you've come to any of my insurance classes, this is not a surprise. This falls squarely into the category of things that can get you sued. Malpractice, allegations, if your documentation is not up to speed, you're going to have a real hard time. If your documentation is not good, you can see already that there may be one or two doctors, associates, hygienists, whatever, 
that are not doing a good job with this, you have to kind of question what's actually going on back there. Maybe they're too busy. You know, a lot of times when doctors don't document a lot, there could be some issues going on there. Now, this is not necessarily for the owner doctor. I'm talking more about when you bring on an associate. When you bring on an associate, I hate to say it, but a lot of times there's not the skin in the game yet unless they're buying in. You know, there there are some personalities, we all know this, that are going to get away with the least amount possible. So I always have to make sure that I'm not dealing with one of those personalities and I need to protect the office. And by making sure documentation is up and running, that's the way we're going to do it. And again, all of these topics that I could go over would be it's on its own, a podcast episode. So the second item in the things that can get you sued is the employee handbook. Very, very important. Any human resources, case, allegation, fine, reporting to the labor board, all of that. Again, it goes back down to your documentation. And what a lot of people don't realize is that every employee handbook should be specific to that practice and to that state. I remember when the Wild West, when the internet was the Wild West and there was just a lot of here, let me give you my handbook, save yourself, you know, $1,400 or whatever the going rate was. What they didn't realize is that the state law in Arizona was not the same as the state law in California. A California employee handbook is going to be a hundred times more. It's going to just be bigger than one, say, in North Carolina. California has a ridiculous number of employee laws, and it's good for the employee. It's employee benefit laws, right? But it's a lot of laws, and you as a manager have to make sure that you're all ready for that. Okay, so I would make sure that my employee handbook has been reviewed by a lawyer or an employment company within the last year. Things are changing, especially with COVID. There's been a lot of new employment laws that have popped up. I mean, I can just bring up, you need to have some sort of policy about the vaccine, about any uh, leave related to COVID. I mean, that's just two things that have popped up in the last year that our handbooks in 2020, in the beginning of 2020, we didn't have anything about that in there. So this is what I mean. Every year it needs to be updated and we need to keep it going. For myself, I always appreciated the fact that we had an HR company to help us with that. We had a handbook, then the company would give us some updates via mail. Back then, uh, it was via mail or email, we would print it. Nowadays, a lot of these HR companies have online portals that can get you that information even quicker than we could ever have dreamed about 10 years ago. So I would actually want to spend some money to make sure that my employee handbook is up to speed. Okay, let's move into the things that can get you fined. Remember that in this category, I could include insurance, you know, getting audited and fined by insurance. I could include getting audited by the labor board if somebody alleges workman's comp and you want to fight it, or maybe there's an allegation, the improper labor practices. But I'm going to leave that over into the sued category because it just actually, it could turn into that at any time too. For things that can get you fined, I'm really talking here about OSHA and HIPAA. OSHA and HIPAA, and I'll tell you, they're not my favorite topic at all. I can listen to it. I understand it. But my goodness, I can't teach it. And I certainly was not really good at keeping it up. Even in my office, when I was supposed to be the HIPAA contact, I did it, but I really did not love it. In the clinical area, the girl that was in charge of OSHA, she loved it. She lived it and breathed it. She knew parts per million. She knew milliliters. She knew everything that she could know about these cleaning materials. And I was like, wow, you definitely are in charge of this. So (laughs) I also would include in there the PCI compliance, which is the training that you have to undergo for your credit card. It's all about privacy, consumer privacy. 
And then also if you're doing any third-party financing like care credit, you know, you usually have to keep up to date with their latest trainings. I think they have you attest on a regular basis, so you want to make sure. You won't necessarily get fined by them, but you may get yanked as a as a provider. That's not a good thing either. So I would make sure that my OSHA and my HIPAA is up to speed. And I will tell you another reason why this is important is because there's government agencies involved. The federal agency with HIPAA and you have the state agencies with OSHA and that's actually, you know, it can go federal too. But for the most part, your state is going to administer the OSHA and also the state labor boards too. So any OSHA violations, you know, you might have to go and and talk to the state labor board about it. They might come and talk to you about it. HIPAA is really important. You don't want to violate HIPAA. You don't want to find out that, you know, if you had a breach, you should have notified all of these people. You don't want to find out about that down the road. The other part of it too is that your team needs to know all about why we are so protective of our patient information. That's something that I found when I was training offices is we would throw all these acronyms at them. We would throw all these handbooks at them. And a lot of times the employees just didn't understand why it was so important. When you really are able to tell the employees that, look, this could cost us a lot of money, this is a federal issue, this is a state issue, I think they take that a little bit better than if you were just saying, hey, this is the way we have to do things. You know, you always have to let people know why it's important and what's in it for them. The what's in it for them is that our office keeps going and, you know, we can make profit and share the profitability. But if we get fined, that profitability goes bye-bye. Not to mention the fact that it affects our relationships with the patients. If there's some sort of printed story that we leaked patient information, maybe somebody threw away a trash bag with all sorts of patient information we didn't shred, right? You know that stuff gets on the news. We can't risk things like that. And that's why we have training. Things that are losing money. So the first two systems that I'm going to take a look at are scheduling and accounts receivable. I understand. Believe me, I get it. I understand continuing care is is third on this list. And it's actually a really close third because I understand the importance of it. But right now, I might be hemorrhaging money by not having anybody in the schedule. So I'm going to do some quick triage of treatment plans that have recently been prescribed. I'm going to do a quick hit on my continuing care reports and see if I can just get people scheduled, maybe get the team going and get up and running with that. But I'm not going to do a full-fledged continuing care push yet because I may not have the capacity for this, right? So I'm still learning. Basically, I'm still learning how busy we can be, right? So scheduling, first of all, I'm just going to make sure that we have a schedule that's reasonably full because we got to get the money going. And for the most part, making sure that you reach out to those people who have been through your hygiene recently, that's where all the restorative work is being diagnosed out of. I'm going to reach back out to those people because we may not have been good about scheduling them when they left. So that's going to be my first quick hit to fill the schedule. Then I'm going to take a look at my accounts receivable. Now, this includes both my insurance and my accounts receivable, my my regular patient statements. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to find out when the last time was it was paid attention to. And if no statements have been sent in a while, first thing I'm going to do is do a quick review of, I'm going to generate the statements. I'm going to do a quick review of them just to make sure everything looks okay, then I'm going to send it out. I'm going to take a look at the insurance claims, see how old they are, and I'm going to generate them quickly and send them out. If they are really getting old over the 9, 10 months mark, I'm just going to resubmit everything. And I know insurance companies are cringing to hear this, but what I'm trying to beat is the timely filing deadlines 
I may not have a lot of EOBs that are asking me for additional information because perhaps the person that was there before wasn't really good at it. So getting new EOBs back or getting new ERAs, which is the electronic version of EOB, getting those in my portal, that's going to help me weed through this. This is going to be very time consuming. And I don't recommend that you spend like five days in a row straight on this because you really shouldn't do that anyways. Just you got to breathe a little bit, right? You're the manager, not the full-time insurance coordinator. So while I understand that's important, you can't just dive into this and get this going. And conversely, with the other stuff too, you have to be able to handle a whole bunch of different areas at one time. But remember, these are the areas that I'm going to focus on first, because I need to make sure that we're not going to get shut down or we're not going to run out of money. That's really where I'm going with this. I'm going to go back to the question, the original question. What would I do as a new manager today? Everything that I spoke about is absolutely what would be on my timeline, but I want to talk to you about keeping track of yourself. The next episode is going to have me focusing on planning it out and how to keep up with it. And this is a little bit of a tease for it. So what I'm going to do now is just let you in on the secret that I had. A lot of you already use one, but if you're not using one, I highly recommend this. I had what I call a managerial log. Way back when, it was my spiral notebook that I took with me everywhere. I scribbled, scribbled, scribbled. I have to tell you, I don't do that now. Honestly, my handwriting is so terrible that it's probably a good thing anyways. I look back at some of my notes and I can't even read them. It's terrible. So I started to use a Word document and I password protected it on my computer. And you can do that. You know, there's just Google how to password protect my Word document. And that way you don't have other people taking a look at it. And it could be something that you keep for yourself. If you're using one of the softwares that has journals attached to the um, the software where you can keep your own notes, this means that your software is password protected. Everybody's using passwords, right? Because you looked at HIPAA and you made sure that that was happening, right? Right. Okay. So you could use whatever system works for you. I know some people, they have an app for it like Google Keep. The only thing that I would look at is just making sure that you're not putting any patient information in anything that is not password protected and in the office, okay? So just make sure that you're keeping that uh, confidential. In my managerial calendar, I'm going to write down some goals, some timelines of when I want to have this done and this done and this done. There are other bullet points that I'm going to add into there as well. And on the next episode, when I address this, I'm going to go over some of the other yearly recurring items that were in this managerial calendar so that you can populate it yourself. What I did was I didn't beat myself up when I didn't meet a goal. That's not to say that I just said, "Ah, I'm not going to meet this goal. It's all right. We'll get past it. When I didn't meet a goal, it was sometimes devastating for me, right? Because I'm pretty driven. I'm wired that way. But I had to learn to forgive myself if I didn't meet a goal. Not because it wasn't my fault or because we didn't have the money or whatever, but because things happen. Life gets in the way. Maybe we lose an employee and we have to kind of start from zero in another area. What I'm saying is celebrate when you do meet your goals. Don't beat yourself up if you don't meet your goals. However, you need to figure out why you didn't meet your goals and then try harder the next time around. So my managerial calendar is something that I use in concert with my managerial log. So my log is basically, I'm documenting what I'm doing, what my next plans are, what my game plan is, right? It's almost like a roadmap to my managerial duties. The managerial calendar, I like to use Google Calendar. I know a lot of people use their iCals. 
whatever app works for you, again, remember patient information doesn't go in there, but I need to be able to set up recurring items. I need to be able to set up reminders and notifications so that I I get notified for these things. And for me, I used a Google Calendar just because it was easier to set up and I knew that I, I had it on my app and I mean, it's just easy for me. And we'll go over a lot of what I included in that managerial calendar on the next one. So thinking back, when I was a new manager, we actually didn't have stuff like this available. You know, we didn't have apps for everything. I know I'm dating myself, but you know, that's what it is, right? It is what it is. I didn't have all of that. And so the spiral notebook and the post-it notes were just fine. And honestly, if that's your style too, that's your style too. I'm not going to get into it about how you, you should do this as long as you find a system that works. What I want you to do is just think, here's your homework, just think about how you're tracking things now. Is it time to switch to a new system? Is it time to start holding yourself accountable with dates in the calendar? Perhaps working with an accountability partner. You know, that's something that when I met other office managers, I suddenly had accountability partners. I didn't have that the first 10 years. As a manager, my accountability partner was my boss and he was a great accountability partner, but I also realized that I had to pretty much achieve everything because I wanted to keep, you know, getting my raises and and making him happy as an employer. An accountability partner is somebody that's totally different. And we can talk about that at the next episode. So I'm hoping that you give some thought to the items in your office that can get you sued, that can get you fined, and that can you lose your money. And I also want you to remember that it's really hard in life, period. It's much harder when you're comparing yourself to people, but you don't know the full story. Everything really looks good online. I think we all know that. Everything looks fantastic online. Everybody has 100% collections online. Don't do that. I've been behind the scenes in plenty offices and it hasn't all been rosy, but that's okay because they were working towards fixing it. You're a unique manager. You have this job because of your uniqueness, your managerialness, right? There's no reason to compare it to anybody else because you're doing you the best way that you can. I hope this has been helpful for you. And if you have been feeling any of that guilt as a manager that you're not doing enough, that you don't know this and you don't know that, Put it aside because the fact that you're listening to a dental podcast tells me that you're in this. Believe me, people that don't care about being a dental manager are not listening to dental podcasts. I'm telling you, we're not that interesting. (laughs) All right. Until the next episode, I hope I've given you some good information that you can think about. If you're looking for some levity, I have another podcast with my friend, Kevin Henry. It's called Chew on This. There'll be a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate that you spend your time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.